Happy Sunday, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to a brand spanking new episode of Ask a Lawyer. I'm Kelly Lewis, and with me, of course, is the Executive Director of Oklahoma Indian Legal Services, Stephanie Hudson. Happy New Year. Oh, my goodness. Happy New Year. I'm so excited to be moving into 2021. Oh, man. But, you know... Okay, so we are moving into 2021. We think, we hope, we think we know that we have um, a Democratic Senate uh, now. We are we are recording the show early, so we don't exactly know at this time, but hopefully that's going to change. And what I want to know is how, what do you see on the horizon for legal issues that came into 2021 from 2020 because there was a there were a lot of legal issues that were exacerbated by covid and now it seems like we're we're moving into a new phase in our government so how is how do you think that that is going to affect is is do you think it's going to um lessen the uh the the uh, weight on the judicial system, or do you, in fact, see foresee um, a little bit more increase in that weight for for a while until the 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 virus subsides? I think that we're going to see. I'm being optimistic. <laughs> I, I think that we're going to see a period where everybody's going to be in a holding pattern waiting to see what happens. I, I, I really do think that there's a lot of people out there who are just ready to see COVID go away and that the new administration is how uh, we're going to get some handle on it. Um, I, I think a lot of people realize right now that the current administration is really focused on other things such as um, challenging the presidential election, and there's not a lot of focus on a national level about how to distribute the vaccine. And uh, I think that once the new administration comes in, I think we're going to see, you know, a, a new focus on getting um, some type of of method of getting these vaccines out into the communities a whole lot quicker and in a in a lot uh, more organized way. I, I I really do think that people are waiting on that and hoping that that gets uh, taken care of before we see um, you know new new challenges uh, to anything right now. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about this crazy climate that we find ourselves in and the legalities of it. Because I, I one of the things that's always struck me about attorneys and and I feel like I feel like at at an attorney's core, there's got to be some kind of love for the Constitution, right? Like, there is. like you have to, you have to go, you know what, this is the law of the land. And and you yeah. even take an oath, right? You take an oath to, yeah. to uphold and defend that constitution as yes. the law of the land, right? Like, we that, do. Uh, to In order to practice law in a state, you do, you do. You take an oath to the, the constitution in order to uphold the constitution. Okay. 
So riddle me this. <laughs> Why are there so many? Like, okay, Rudy Giuliani, he was like America's mayor, right? Like yeah. this guy, this 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 attorney general who cracked down on the mafia and and you know it, it it's and and now that same guy is is doing everything and not just him. There are so many attorneys and these senators and and uh, congress people who know attorneys who are attorneys and know that what they're doing is against the constitution so is there any kind of i mean you don't get disbarred for something like what is that and are there any repercussions for it other than getting voted out i guess I, that there that's the repercussion is getting voted out um what you know it, when you're dealing with the law and this is what frustrates lay people who, who are not attorneys or who don't have a legal education is when, when you're looking at the law an attorney is trained to look at both sides of a situation and what we've got right now in the United States is just um, a, a real break between a, a real major break between how the Constitution is interpreted and you see people who are you know following it in a you know what we think is a uh, the way that it's always been followed and following um, th there's some of the things that are going on that are not in the constitution. It's just the tradition of how things are done. Um, like the way that um, the vice president is responsible for opening the ballots and reading the ballots and, and, um, you know, there, there's questions about whether the vice president can reject. And it doesn't say in the Constitution whether he can or not. It just says that, um, you know, he just counts the ballots in the Electoral College, uh, from the Electoral College. And, you know, there's people out there who are trying to interpret it as, you know, no, he doesn't have just that right. He can do this and do that. And the, the, the law and attorneys are taught to look at both sides of the law and then you, you take an opinion on it and you push, you push your opinion. And we, we just have a thing going on in society right now where there's just such a push on both sides right now. And it, it's really causing a lot of stress and anxiety and chaos. <laughs> Um, and, and okay, so let me talk about frivolous lawsuits and getting sanctioned, because that's yes. something that was being floated around uh, uh -huh. during all of this crazy time is, well, and, 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 and coming from attorneys, coming, I mean, like, there, and it seems like there's a clear divide, like, there are attorneys that are wholly against this, and then there are attorneys that are completely on board with it, and there doesn't yeah. seem like there's a gray area there, yeah. and the attorneys who are wholly against it are are appalled because it's like you know that you can be sanctioned for bringing these frivolous lawsuits lawsuits that you know have no merit but yeah i mean yeah. Wh why why is the court are the courts reluctant to sanction attorneys that way 
they're they're reluctant to sanction attorneys because the judges themselves are attorneys, and the judges understand what um, you know what what a, a black mark uh, a sanction can put on an attorney's career. Um, a sanction should be something that is done um, with with a lot of thought and making sure that, you know, it's not done in a careless or a, uh, um, a you know, a, a partisan way, a malicious or a partisan or a callous way. You know, the, the judge has to really believe that there has been some wrongdoing. And it, it's hard now. It really is hard because they're the, you know, the people who are doing things that, you know, seems like it needs sanctions, that they, they truly believe that they are following the law. And it, it's, it, it's hard when you've, um, the legal field is a field that kind of self-monitors itself. And you've got attorneys who are att sanctioning attorneys and you've got attorneys who must watch out and turn in attorneys. I, I know that there are attorneys who will, you know, report other attorneys for violating the the rules of professional responsibility and for um, request sanctions against attorneys who are violating the rules of professional responsibilities or are violating the law. But it's in situations that are really egregious. So when we've got these situations where one side really believes that they're following the law and the other side really believes they're following the law, it's, you know, hard for a judge to make a decision on, in those situations. Let's talk about the challenges from other states, because this is something that I am dumbfounded on, you see. Um, yeah. For attorneys to, and, and I use Oklahoma, like Oklahoma yeah. went for Trump. Like we went right. for Trump lock, stock and barrel. <laughs> there was no way we weren't going for Trump though right. I personally did not vote for him and yeah. I do not support or uh, subscribe to any of his philosophies political or otherwise uh -huh. um, but why are our lawyers and lawmakers and things like that going and and trying to disenfranchise voters from other states isn't that what that is it is when when I'm it sitting is. here like no I it, like uh, like basically and and you can correct me if I'm wrong basically what we're telling these other states is what you voted on we don't like how you voted how you picked your representatives so we're going to completely disenfranchise you and throw out everything yeah that that's exactly what's going on and th there's a lot of conversation out there about whether that's you know, it's almost not even whether it's legal to do that. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, common sense. <laughs> whether, you know, whether you, whether you can tell an, another sovereign that, you know, how to vote. Uh, yeah, I think it's clear in the law that, you know, one sovereign can't, you know, tell another sovereign 
how to run their government. That's, you know, that's the whole basis of Indian law right there. And I, I think it's a mistake for our lawmakers to get involved in in something like that. Um, what, what I worry about is Oklahoma, where Oklahoma is very hard-headed. Oklahoma is, you know, uh, does what it wants to do, and Oklahomans are very proud of the fact that we're not going to follow what the rest of the country does to, in spite of, you know, we, we sometimes do it in spite of what's the best for us. We're, you know, we're, we're going to do what we want to do. What, how are we going to react if another state wants to tell us what to do? That, you know, the fact that, you know, we, uh, you know, our education levels, we need to provide more teachers. So, you know, how are we going to feel if the state of Pennsylvania tells our legislature that, you know, what you need to do is you need to spend more money on uh, your budget to provide more money for teachers. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to uh we're gonna sue you for it we're gonna (laughs) sue you for it yeah yeah there you go we're gonna sue you for it how how do you think Oklahoma would react to that (laughs) not well (laughs) not well it's you know it's dangerous to open up precedents like that that's my opinion that that you know tribes states should let other states govern the way that they want to govern and and okay so let's talk about federalism and Uh and that's basically what that is right the states govern themselves they contribute to the larger federal picture yes and and basically and that you know and that's that's what we are we're the united states of America, you know, we could be, you know, like France, we could be just one big, one big country. And, uh, you know, I don't know if France is a good example, but, you know, what, what our country is built upon is the fact that each state gets to have its own government and govern the people within the state the way that it wants to, but that there is also this overarching federal government that will um, ensure that there's some uniformity to the laws within the states. Interesting. And, and so that, that, and that's one of the things that I don't get is, is I guess the other side of that. Like, I think a lot of people are really leery about, I mean, there's like a third of the country that doesn't believe that Biden has won. And that's, that's scary in itself. Yeah. How do you, how does, how does the federal government govern on that level when the states have so many rights you know what i mean like if they put just even something simple as a mask mandate right like okay well here's a mask mandate our whole country has to do x y and z everybody's got to do it now well here Mm -hmm. in oklahoma that didn't go for biden i mean what is our governor you know what i mean what would be the potential for that and what would be the potential for like, would would our residents could our residents be held like criminally responsible, or you know what I mean? Like, where does that moral responsibility bleed into like a legal 
responsibility you know what i mean like where you could actually yeah. get in trouble for going out and infecting people yeah you know th- that you know there there's uh state laws there's federal laws that govern situations like that um and, and it's just going to be a matter of whether the the executive branch of the state or of the federal government decides to prosecute in those situations. We haven't come that far right now where anybody wants to prosecute people for not wearing masks. Um, I think that um, executive branches across the nation, whether it's governors or the president are reluctant to get to a point where you're going to prosecute people for that. I think that what our leaders really do depend upon are citizens and other leaders who recognize that something is a risk to our health. And right now that that's that, that's where all of this has become so politicized so you know the, the, and that that kind of grounds back to you know where where we started is you know what what do we foresee and you know my hope is and like i said i'm always the half glass full person in our office um i've got somebody in our office who says since we're on internet radio she always says that oh, the glass isn't half full, it isn't half empty, it's just full of piss. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. And that's kind of what this year has been like, and I, I still you know, the, the <laughs> that, you know, the glass is half full, and I, I really am hoping that with some new leadership at the, at the federal level that, you know, we'll see proper proper regulations and proper ways of handling the pandemic will come will come about and we'll have some of the leaders statewide leaders who are resistant to it maybe they can see how it is beneficial and and yeah i think so because in 2021 i think mcgirt that was just the beginning uh, yeah. I want to switch yeah. gears a little bit because there has been so much since since we have been on our hiatus with yeah. Ask a Lawyer. I mean, there's been so much that's happened. Um, and I want to talk about the Seminole, uh, the Seminole Nation here in Oklahoma moving to tax the oil and gas industry. We let oh. out a giant <laughs> hoorah over that, of course. Yeah. Because isn't that isn't that the part of the precedent that McGirt set? Yes, it, that, that's part of the precedent that McGirt set. Uh, I, you know, I, I believe that that is probably the number one reason why the oil and gas industry was so opposed to a finding in McGirt that occurred. They, they were worried about that. Um, the, the, the tribes really could benefit from that type of income, especially Seminole, Seminole County. Seminole County is a, a, a county that is, um, has a lot of natural resources in it. Um, I, I, I'm not sure how that, how that's going to work out. I, I know that, uh, 
most of the, you know, the majority of the five tribes, they really do try to work with the state before they uh, go, before, before they try to tax something that the state also taxes. Most of the five tribes try to, you know, balance that out with the state. Um, I know that uh, the Chickasaw Nation and the Choctaw Nation, they worked out an agreement regarding, uh, you know, license plates and stuff. And um, th there's a agreement with the state on how, how that has come about. And uh, I believe that, you know, they probably would have preferred that there be some type of an agreement. So I, I'd be interested to see how, how that runs its course during uh, 2021. I, I don't really have any thoughts on how, how that's going to come about. I will be watching it like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I know it just, just like the day that yeah, all the Indian lawyers geeked out when, when McGirt, uh, when the decision came down, <laughs> oh, I, I knew. And as soon as I read that, I told Thomas, I was like, yeah, we got to ask, ask a lawyer about this because this has huge implications. This has, yeah. I mean, and, and I hope that these other tribes around the country really pay attention to that, especially in states where they have friendly, cooperative relationships with their state government. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, nor normally Oklahoma and the tribes have a, you know, a working relationship. You, normally, the tribes in the state have, uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's friendly. I wouldn't necessarily say it's adversarial. I would say that they, they have a, a working relationship with the state normally. But um, the, this administration, this uh, current uh, gubernatorial administration, um, has not been willing to work with the tribes, flat out. You know, is not interested. And I, I truly believe that that comes from a, uh, a lack of education and understanding of how the tribes could benefit the state. I mean, all the way around, right? I mean, when you look at let's just uh, just for for our last segment here, let's let's look at a, a situation like incarceration. And how many natives are incarcerated in Oklahoma? Right. Uh, we have more native women incarcerated than anywhere else in the in the world. Yeah. Um, and, and are these offenses that these, these Indians are, are serving time for, it, it, was it all really necessary? Was that much time? And I know mandatory sentencing and, and, and all that, but if you had your tribes involved in those kinds of domestic violence and criminal justice issues and, even even ex extending that to vocational rehabilitation and mental health and substance abuse rehabilitation and things like that. I mean, the tribes have a lot of federal resources where yes. the state has absolutely. I mean, they if they worked in tandem, it could benefit everyone. Oh, oh, my gosh. The the the. the what could be brought into the state of Oklahoma if the tribes were 
were able to have a really good relationship with the state. If, if the state was willing, it, not just on the, the state level, but on the, even on the county levels, if uh, the states, the counties could see how much the tribes could bring into their counties, it, it'd be just amazing what, what, what we could do. And McGirt opens up so much of, uh, so much more value and so much more, uh, just bringing in more resources into the state. I, I think that the state gets so focused on protecting the oil and gas interest in Oklahoma. And the, the oil and gas, yes, it's a big business, but we're, we're never going to be on the level of, you know, like Texas or Alaska in terms of the amount of wealth that can be brought in by oil and gas. But Oklahoma has 39 tribes, and there's tribes in, uh, you know, 25, you know, 75% of the state has, you know, tribe, tribal land. And what can be done with that tribal land in conjunction with the tribes, it, it's, it, you know, there, it's, you could do so much. You could, you could just do so much. Well, and- I, I, yeah, I guess I get speechless at not being able to <laughs> express, you know, just how much could be done in conjunction with the tribes and nobody has on the state level has the vision to be able to see that they're just so blinded by, you know, what, what they need to do to protect the oil and gas industry. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. I think the frustration, especially with tribal advocates has to lie in the fact that it's just sitting there. Yeah, like these resources, nobody can take advantage of them because everybody won't take advantage of them. Yeah, uh-huh, exactly. And and it really is short sighted. It is to look at this and to, and to say, I mean, let's look at another another issue, which is alternative energy uh-huh. and solar energy. I've always yeah. been a proponent of solar energy. If the tribes <laughs> invested in solar energy within these towns, like a couple of them have across the country. They have their entire communities. What is wrong with having a solar array to provide uh, electricity and energy to your tribal housing? Exactly. Exactly. And uh, you could put a solar array on tribal land and you could provide electricity to a whole town, to, you know, like Carnegie or Codibo or, yeah. <laughs> or Pawnee or even. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. you could provide electricity uh, with alternative methods to, to the whole town. And, and, and create your own tribal uh, authority and electric cooperative. Exactly. And then uh, you, you could probably provide services at a, uh, at a lesser cost than what these little communities are, you know, how much you're purchasing these services from uh, other companies. Well, and on the other side of that, you train your tribal members. You train right. tribal members and you train the community members how to how to maintain those yeah. the arrays and how to maintain the different things and how to use that data 
to to get more. I mean, th- it's all a matter of training. And not only that, if something goes down, you've trained local people, so they're right there, and they're inve- they're reinvesting everything into that community. Uh, and again, I don't know why this is so hard to understand. <laughs> I don't know. It's one thing for you and us to talk about it. It's quite another thing for everybody out there to go. I don't get that. Why? Why on earth would we involve the tribes in anything? Yeah. That you you said something which uh, it just you know to me it, it's uh, a hammer right on the head is uh, um, training community members. We drive the the our, our attorneys drive all over Oklahoma, and sometimes we'll comment that we're drive through these little towns, and we always wonder what do these people do for jobs? You know, what what are their jobs that they're they continue to live in these small communities and such? I mean, I know some of it's farming, some of it is you know working with oil and gas and such. Um, the tribes they are in those small communities, and the tribes if the if the state would be willing to engage in partnerships with them, the tribes can engage in types of economic development that can provide jobs for the young people in those communities. You know, a part of the the methamphetamine problem in, in small communities in rural Oklahoma is there, there's no jobs. There's no jobs. So either they, you know, become addicted to methamphetamine just because there's nothing else to do or you know they become engaged in uh selling it or selling drugs and stuff and um that if there were other things that they could get involved in uh in terms of making a living (laughs) that you know that that could alleviate some of the societal problems that we're experiencing with uh substance abuse and domestic violence and uh joblessness and homelessness in the rural communities and all of that exists in rural communities it's not just big cities oh yeah and i and again i think that's also short-sighted for us to pretend like it doesn't exist in in small rural communities because exactly if if anything it seems more rampant i don't know if if that's true but here in oklahoma it does certainly seem that way Thank you so much for tuning in. It's so great to be back harassing our, our lawyers and asking them all the questions that we've that we've had for the last month. So don't forget, if you've missed this conversation or any of our past episodes, you can catch up with those wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to check your social media because uh, Oils is going to be back out doing our drive-through events uh, and bringing our legal clinics right to you in a COVID-safe way. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll catch you back here next week on Ask a Lawyer. I'm Kelly J. Lewis with Stephanie Hudson. Have a great day, everyone.